the immediate reason that prompted the Buddha to leave his life in the palace with his family was seeing the four heavenly messengers. We say Devaduta. Deva is in heavenly. Duta means messenger or the modern word is ambassador. Important messages that prompted him to think more deeply about life and the purpose of life. So seeing a sick person and contemplating seeing an elderly person and contemplating seeing a sick person covered in sores with open wounds fighting back the flies in the heat of the day moaning with pain seeing the aging person an old man with a bent back hobbling along the road with a walking stick seeing a corpse as the family cried prepared to cremate that corpse just seeing a dead body lying in a coffin still cold changing color and so on and then finally seeing the samana walking in a restrained manner down the street receiving arms these four messengers prompted the thought about suffering and the end of suffering what is the way out of suffering so seeing the samana is the sign of the way out of suffering a renunciant one who's set aside worldly pursuits of gaining wealth and the pleasures of the world <coughs> to pursue the practice for training the mind to a deeper level to understand how to actually go beyond the world, transcend the world, transcend suffering. These messengers are all around us, reminders pointing to the truth. helping to break through some of the normal delusions that we're bound up with. Our teacher Ajahn Chah pointed to these heavenly messengers over and over again. 
it's our good fortune to be able to be in a position that we can hear the Dhamma and re then reflect on it, actually make use of such messengers. And he'd point out that this is the nature of the world. The world is an unsatisfactory place. Our existence is unsatisfactory, it's bound up with dukkha because of old age, sickness and death. So we would be wise to remind ourselves of this. As a way out of dukkha, we reflect on dukkha as dukkha, the first noble truth, being to, to know suffering as suffering with mindfulness and insight. To take the time to reflect on it, understand it, come to know it. And this helps to reveal the way out of suffering. Letting go putting down attachment to the world and to the things of this world. If, if this world is full of suffering, then it's something not to be attached to. So the way out of suffering is to be able to let go, have enough insight to let go of that which is causing suffering. So letting go is a liberating force. There's a liberating effect on the mind. It's the flavor of the practice. And Jen Chah said, letting go is nothing, in the end there's nothing more important than letting go. But to achieve letting go, we obviously have to train. Train the mind to develop enough calm and in, enough insight to be able to let go. One who's trained enough, develop, develop the mind, the calm, the insight, then they will naturally be just letting go won't be grasping onto anything. The mind won't be taking ownership of anything. The five candors, this body and mind, and body, feelings, memory, thought formations, sense consciousness, won't be grasped at, clung onto. They'll be let go of, in the mind of one who is trained, So when they ask Ajahn Chah, what's the quickest way to enlightenment? You might answer, oh, just let go. Don't have to do anything. What do you have to do to get enlightened quickly? Don't have to do anything. 
That's it, just let go. That's for somebody who's already trained practice to that level. That's just explaining what, what their mind is doing. It's just constantly letting go, putting things down. Obviously for someone at the beginning of the practice, it seems like a monumental task to say, oh, you don't have to do anything, just let go. It sounds good, but we know it doesn't really work yet because the mind keeps picking things up, clinging on to things. We suffer because we take ownership of our experience, this body, this mind, and the world around us. We don't see yet how to let go. So it's our good fortune that we come to meet with the teachings, with the Buddhist path. And it's a living tradition. Even though Ajahn Chah is dead now, we still have his disciples to teach us, remind us, point us in the right direction. And all the path is helping us give us skillful means how to let go of attachment. Reflections, instructions, practices, uh, the training, the monastic training, the Vinaya, the meditation techniques, meditation objects, and then training in the skill of contemplation these are the means which bring us to the point where we can let go. We're constantly having to come back and look at our own minds. So this is why meditation is at the center of our practice and developing mindfulness and clear comprehension as much as possible from moment to moment through our day. When we finish our meditation and we get up and then to carry on practicing mindfulness, even if we're not in the meditation posture anymore, keep returning to the state of mind and contemplating. As we find over and over again, one of the biggest sufferings of the meditator is dissatisfaction with what's going on in the mind. As we watch, watch it and become more aware, we can't help but keep judging compared with what we've heard and what we've learned and then the reality. And often we're not yet ready to accept our old karma. We have mental formations, sankhara, dhammas, arising all the time. Some good, some not so good. We have good thoughts, bad thoughts, positive thoughts, negative thoughts arising all the time. And of course when we're practicing the Buddhist path, then we tend to judge and feel unhappy when negative thoughts arise 
So we compound them, judge ourselves as maybe a bad meditator or somebody without much merit or much barami based on what we see, what we find in our own mind. Really we have to just establish mindfulness in it and have that knowing that these are just mental formations based on past karma coming up. We don't have to actually do anything with them. We don't have to judge them, we don't have to do much other than just know them as mental formations arising and passing away. They're not really a, anything permanent. They're not any kind of a self that we have to grasp onto. We can just know them as mental formations arising, passing away, whether they're the good, whether they're bad. Yanjan Chah compared, compared it to like the forest. We live in the forest. And traditionally in the old days, we go into the forest to get wood to use to build kutis or build different structures in the monastery. You go into the forest and there's, some of the trees are strong and straight, useful for building. Some of the trees are all gnarled or bent over or weak, split, have termites and so on. They're to be left behind. No point pick, cutting them down, picking them up to use for building. It's just the way it is. Some trees are good and strong, some are not. And just like our minds, some thought formations and moods are good, some are not. But our job is just to establish mindfulness and know that much and then let go because these things are not self. They're just conditions of mind coming according to their own set of causal factors from the past. All the time, whether we're meditating or we're walking around doing different things, we have pleasant and unpleasant experiences coming our way because of past karma. We have a Ramana. In Thai we say Arom, meaning objects mind objects arising into our consciousness, into our experience. All of these, we just have to establish mindfulness to know them. There's just that much. When mindfulness is not strong and insight is not there, then we'll tend to react with pleasure, to the pleasure and pain, with liking or disliking. Pleasant object, we tend to indulge in, delight in. Unpleasant object, we tend to be averse to, we reject it, don't want it. And that leads to more mental proliferation, more of these objects, more of the cycle of birth and death arising in the mind, more attachment and more suffering. So our job in short is to keep establishing mindfulness 
using the mindfulness to contemplate these different objects as just a nicca, dukkha, anatta, impermanent, unsatisfactory, not-self. Not me, mine, myself, nothing permanent, nothing fixed, nothing to be clung on to. Keep learning to do that, learning how to do that better. That's our skill, that's the skill that we're practicing and developing in daily life through our practice. This is what brings the mind to its state of freedom, learning to let go of all the different objects that contact the mind through, through these experiences, pleasant, unpleasant. We just know them and let them go. Sometimes the training in the monastery supports that and encourages the letting go because we have to follow routines, we have to follow ways of practice, we have to accept the way of training, which isn't always to our preference. So maybe we have to meditate and we don't want to meditate if there's a group meeting or listen to a talk when we want to be quiet or we have to be quiet when we want to talk or we have to work when we don't want to do anything and sometimes we want to work but there's nothing to do, we have to do nothing. The monastic training is helping us to expose these kinds of attachments and preferences which build up in the mind. helping us to establish mindfulness, to let go of all our reactions. Sometimes it's from a teacher or senior monk. They don't always give us what we want, when we want, or let us do what we want, when we want. Ajahn Chah is famous for being unpredictable, not always following the desires of his students. So sometimes people would want to leave the monastery to go off and he'd say stay, or sometimes he'd, they'd want to stay and he'd send them away. Could never, they say, never could be quite sure what, what to expect, what's around the next corner with Ajahn Chah. He's teaching in a living way, in a practical way, how to let go by not becoming too fixed in one's desires, always trying to get what you want, get away from what you don't want, and learn how to just contemplate with mindfulness and insight rather than just following desire. So we have to remind ourselves of that and see the value of that way of training. Because obviously it's not always easy. We need to be patient with the conditions, not always getting what our desires want, not getting every desire fulfilled. Sometimes Ajahn Chah could teach on different levels. At one time there was a monk who was getting very upset that people wouldn't do their job in the monastery. They wouldn't tidy up when they're supposed to tidy up and so on, particularly at drinks time. 
when finishing the evening drink, monks would just walk away, sort of in a selfish way. They'd just go away without helping to clear up. This monk came to Ajahn Chah and complained. He said, mm, the monks are not clearing up the, the kettles and the things that are used for the evening drink. Ajahn Chah said, well, you're a monk. You saw it and you didn't do it, so you're wrong. You've, you haven't been keeping the rules. You haven't been cleaning up. The monk had to go away and think about that. Sometimes we see things that are wrong or at fault. If we see them and we don't do anything, then maybe we're at fault as well. There's many levels of letting go. The tendency of the mind is always to go down to the lowest level, meaning to follow the the way of indulgence or following the defilements, greed, anger, delusion. So to work to bring it up to a higher level, we have to put effort in. We can't always assume things are just going to coast along in a kind of complacent way and hope that it all turns out in the end. We also have to put effort in to bring the mind up, to go against the stream. If we leave the mind to its own devices, well, it tend to be more, more indulgent, more lazy. Just follow along according to whatever it feels like. So we have to work with that. We have to see the value of training, of putting effort into the discipline and to develop mindfulness through the meditation techniques that we use. You're learning to bring up just basic mindfulness using the breath, using the mantras, using the buddho. We have to train in contemplation as well. In contemplation, even though you've read books and heard talks, still not the same as actually training the mind to look at its own experience to investigate the Dhamma, the Dhamma which here, and the p development of the enlightenment factors, Sati, Sambhojanga, Dhamma which here, Sambhojanga. And once mindfulness is established, then we can investigate the Dhamma and look more deeply. You have to be able to calm the mind down enough to be able to see what's going on in our own actions, our speech, and then in our thought formations. We look more deeply at this body and mind. Question things, challenge things. Get under the surface a little bit, not just take every sort of superficial appearance of things as it is face value, but to look a bit under the surface. If you really want to uproot Kilesa, change the way the mind is. You have to be willing to look more deeply, not just follow every mood of happiness or suffering that arises in the mind and just take that as it is, otherwise we end up pushed all over the place. You have to be able to establish mindfulness and look at it in a detached way. Mm. This is not self. 
this is an impermanent condition of mind. And to be able to keep doing that regularly over time. And to keep coming back to our own bodies to see the nature of this body, investigating is it really anything substantial? And we have all the reflections that the Buddha gave us. This body, you say, contemplate the four elements in this body earth, air, fire, and water. As you meditate, you calm down, just keep directing to visually bring up visual images of the four elements the, the solid part the bones, the hair the flesh and so on the liquid parts of this body you really bring the mind's attention to them the urine, the blood, the snot tears and so on the heating and the cooling of the body, the temperature within this body and the air the oxygen comes in with our breathing goes round the body, oxygenates the blood and take the time to really analyse, look at the body more deeply see, question, where is the self in that? where is the person in that? This is why the body is subject to aging and sickness and death. It's because these four elements, in their nature, they can't just stay bound up together, working together in a sort of fixed, unchanging way. It's the nature of this body is to be, to degenerate. The heating of the body, we're sort of slowly cooking to death, if you might say. Cells change and multiply. And the body ages partly through temperature, effective temperature. Just the different way the, the chemicals, the biological processes of this body work together over time. Things change from youth and the cells and the nature of the body when we're young. It's different from middle age, different from old age. Not just the look of it, but the actual way it functions. There's nothing we can do about that. There's no one in charge who can control that or make it go a certain way. We have to accept the body is a set of four elements that the consciousness mind has taken over. We give ourselves a name and a personality but really it's the mind under the influence of delusion has just taken over a group of four elements. So we have to teach the mind this, teach the mind to see more deeply into the, what, it's ta what it's taken as self, and who, the, who is really there in the earth, the air, the fire, the water. And obviously to keep doing that regularly, 
do it once, maybe you can do it just for a few minutes and then the mind gets bored or distracted, can't do it anymore. So to keep returning to it as a theme, notice the solidity of the body as the earth element. And even contemplate, you know, we have pit toilets as you watch your excrement go into a pit toilet over time, how it turns back into the earth. Or you cut hair, cut nails. Watch how they, if you keep them, you could keep them and just put them somewhere in the forest and watch how they just gradually go back to the earth. How the liquids of the body come out and disappear. You urinate onto the forest floor just disappears, there's no longer any any connection with this set of five candors here. You blow your nose and you throw the tissue away. It's just snot or phlegm from when you cough. You have a cut, just watch how the blood comes out, you wipe it off and then you throw it away, it just goes back to the earth. Little by little we're training the mind to let go by seeing the true nature of this body, this mind as it is. There's phenomena that are ultimately impermanent, unsatisfactory, not self. This is what liberates the mind, because naturally if we see like this, then greed starts to drop away. Anger starts to drop away. The mind returns more to peace. It just knows the way things are. Anicca, dukkha, anatta. Nothing to get angry about, nothing to lust after or have greed after. So all these things are just anicca, dukkha, anatta. Even if we can't explain it properly to ourselves or to other people, if you have some insight into this, then you know something is changing in your own experience, in your own perception, your own way of looking at things. You can see, you can see the mind maybe loosening some of its formerly held attachments. That gives you some sense of, oh, this is going in the right direction. The mind is a little bit more peaceful than before. A little clearer than before. So I'll leave you with these reflections tonight.